Okay. Well, this is a, a this is a beautiful liturgy, and it's uh, it's really the most um, important liturgy of the year. It's the crown of all the church's liturgies, and we can see the the great glory and the splendor uh, that characterizes it. We we've been depriving ourselves of singing Alleluia throughout all of Lent, and now we've been glutted with Alleluias. Right? We've got more Alleluias than we know what to do with, and then also we've been depriving ourselves of, of the glory itself. And then we have this. Beautiful Gloria. And that is appropriate because tonight Christ is risen from the dead. Christ is victorious over death. He is victorious over sin. He is victorious over the long history of human sorrow and tragedy and suffering and stupidity and sin and crime and everything else. He is victorious gloriously triumphant over all of that. And so it's only appropriate that this night, more than any other nights, should be special and should be a time of joy and peace. Now, my brothers and sisters, we heard three readings from the Old Testament before we even really started the liturgy. And uh, believe it or not, there's actually seven that we could have read. The church says, okay, we know that probably most people aren't going to be able to handle all seven. So you've got to do at least three. And then on top of that, the church says, if you're going to do just three, you definitely can't omit the passage about the Exodus and the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea. So it's very interesting. The church wants us to know that that story of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea is especially important for this night. Because during this night, the light of Christ's resurrection is given to our catechumen in the sacrament of baptism. And that story of the crossing of the Red Sea is a foreshadowing of the sacrament of baptism. So I'm just going to focus on that passage tonight. So let's think about what's going on in this story now. The Israelites were in slavery for about 400 years, okay, they were in slavery in Egypt, and uh, they saw no end to this to their dire circumstances. The Book of Exodus says that God heard their groaning and their suffering. He looked down upon them with mercy and with pity. It's very interesting because if you go back to the beginning of Exodus, how God first manifests to the Israelites his desire to liberate them from slavery is he appears to Moses in a burning bush. Okay? And it actually says that God speaks out of this burning bush. It's a very curious passage because from other passages in the Bible and from the Christian tradition as a whole, we understand that God doesn't have a body. He's not spatial. It's not like, oh, God's over in that corner and not this corner. It's not like that, okay? But it seems sometimes when you read the Old Testament that that's precisely what it's like for God. It's as if he's spatial, as if he's in this bush, speaking out of this bush. That's what it seems like when you read these passages. And uh, that kind of strange localization of a God who's not localizable, that's a real word, I don't know, or not, I just made it up right now. That strange localization of God is seen also in tonight's passage. 
Now, something very, very interesting and important that ties directly into our liturgy is that when God, through the prophet Moses, led the Israelites out of slavery, he led them with a pillar of cloud by the day, and a pillar, that same pillar, would turn into a pillar of fire by night. Now, does that remind that pillar of fire leading the Israelites through the darkness? What does that remind us of? Okay, I'm going to give you a hint. Okay, this is our Paschal candle. The Paschal candle was foreshadowed by this whole event that took place about uh, 3,400 years ago. Okay, a long time ago, 3,200 years ago by some historians' estimates. Okay, so that was actually a foreshadowing of our liturgy and, more importantly, of the light of Jesus Christ and of Christ himself. It's very interesting because it says, let's, let's look more at our passage here. This pillar of fire is leading the Israelites into freedom, but then it brings them to the sea. And they're like, uh-oh, what's going on here? And then Pharaoh had a change of heart, and he got his army together. He gets his horses and his chariots together. You know, in today's, it would be like, he gets his bombs, he gets his guns, he gets his tanks. Okay, he comes after uh, the bad guys, come after the good guys, and they're totally outpowered. They look like, it looks hopeless for them. So what the pillar of fire does, it's really cool, is it moves from leading them and from being in front of them to go behind them. And it stands in between the bad guys and the good guys. So it's protecting the people whom it's leading to freedom, whom it's leading out of slavery. And then Moses parts the Red Sea and the Israelites pass through the Red Sea. When Pharaoh tries to do it, the sea covers him and his army and destroys them. Okay. Something very interesting, though, before that, that final climactic destruction of the bad guys takes place, is it says something very curious. It says, the Lord, uh, this is like a paraphrase here, I don't have the exact quote. The Lord looks at them through the pillar of fire with this piercing glance and causes them to basically uh, go, you know, basically be a really, really freaked out and go nuts and lose their cool. Okay? So, it's, again, this idea of God who's not, you can't put him in, in a location. It's like he's in the pillar of fire and he's looking through and he's kind of scaring them, scaring the bad guys. Whenever the Old Testament, my brothers and sisters, seems to portray God in terms of spatialness, like he's over here and not over there, okay, things that you can see with your eyes like a pillar of fire, it's actually a prophetic foreshadowing of when God would actually become man, okay? And Chelsea's been doing a great job for these past months now. She's been learning all about our Catholic faith, and one of the most important elements of our Catholic faith is that God became man. And every time we start our session together, she's, I've got these questions I ask her, and she's got to answer them. And so I'll say to her, okay, um, how many natures in God? And she'll have to say, well, uh, well, one. Okay, how many persons in God? Okay, three. Okay, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which of the persons became a human being? Okay, the second person, the Son. Okay, so now, thinking about the Son... How many natures does he have? Well, he's got two, both the divine nature and the human nature. Whenever we see in the Old Testament God portrayed in human terms, in terms of space and time, 
in terms of visibility. It's a prophetic foreshadowing of when he would actually become a man in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's an amazing uh, promise of the incarnation of God. And we see that taking place here in the story. So if this whole story of the pillar of fire is actually a foreshadowing of Christ, it's a lesson about Christ. What do we learn about Christ? Christ leads us through life. He is our light in darkness. When it's daytime and things aren't, you know, scary, he's going to be like a, a pillar of cloud. He's going to be gentle. He's going to be friendly. And he's going to lead us through the daytime. But when things are nighttime, things are dark, things are getting tough in life, he's going to be a pillar of fire. Okay? And any of the, the bad guys that might come against us, and we're not talking about other human beings, we're talking about the devil. We're talking about his legion of demons. We're talking about our own sins. We're talking about troubles and tribulations that life inevitably brings us. Those are the bad guys. And so when the bad guys come after us, and it's looking really dark, Christ, our light, is able to intercede between us and the bad guys. He guides us. He protects us. And he doesn't let the bad guys get at us. And he eventually leads us into freedom. And he does it, though, specifically through water. Just like the Israelites went across the Red Sea, and it was the sea that overcame their enemies, so also tonight, in the waters of baptism, the, the devil and sin is going to be destroyed and drowned in the waters of baptism. And that's going to be true for Chelsea. And also, what, what did we see when we started our liturgy tonight? We had the Paschal candle and it was lit, and then the, the light of Christ came in and led us in, but it didn't just remain contained within itself. What happened? The fire spread, and we all had our own candles lit up. And so the light of Christ also becomes our light, and we are called to be a light in the darkness for others. So just as Jesus guides us and protects us, so now we, through his grace, are able to guide and protect others and to be a light for others in the world. And the world, my brothers and sisters, as we know, all you got to do is look at the news on a daily basis. It's a dark place. And we as Christians are called to be the light of Christ and to bring hope and guidance and peace and protection to those who need it. And so I'll, before we have Chelsea come up, and we'll do the baptism here in a moment, before we do that, I just want to say a personal message to, to Chelsea, okay? I want to say that remember that Christ is always with you. He's always your protector. He's always your guide. So things are going to get dark in your life. I can guarantee it, okay? Probably you've already gone through a lot of darkness, okay? And it's probably not going to come to an end. As long as you're breathing and as long as you're on this earth. But Christ is your light and he is your guide. And he's going to be with you in a special way now through the sacrament of baptism. And then also, after after the baptism, we have a, a special event as well. We're going to be taking uh, a fellow brother Christian, Robert, who's already been baptized many, many years ago. And who's already followed Christ uh, as, a, as a disciple for many, many years. 
And Robert is going to come into full communion with the Catholic Church, and he's going to be confirmed along with Chelsea. So we're going to have two sacraments celebrated here, baptism and confirmation. So um, this time, 